I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Just got right in there, didn't we? Um, we're going to be starting with Proverbs 19 and 6. I'll read it and then you can be seated. Many will entreat the favor of, of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Now, I should come up behind me in the Amplified. Okay, so many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got some good stuff for you. All right, sit down. Well, let me start with a, a question. Now, we're going to get, we're gonna get scriptural, here, scriptural here. I'm going to get my mouth working. Um, Bible speaks about the gifts of the Spirit, being able to discern, uh, you know, the, or the gift of discernment. Discerning of spirits, not discernment, I'm sorry. The discerning of spirits. And then there's another one that speaks, and I'm trying to think, and I believe it's in, I believe it's in Thessalonians, I, I'm not sure. But it says, having exercised our senses to discern between good and evil. So one of them talks about being able to discern whether an individual, and this is a gift of the spirit, an individual is motivated by Satan, Motivated by God or motivated by the flesh. That's the three things that you, that, that particular gift helps you to discern or will discern for you, rather. The second one is just the fact as you get older, you understand foolishness. And that's really why I'm saying having your senses exercised. You know, I've smelled that thing before. I've seen that before. I've heard that before. I've tasted that before. I've felt that before. Huh? You got it? How many of you old Christians understand what I'm talking about? Okay. <clears throat> Nobody raised their hand. Nobody wants to say they're old Christians. Now, Sister Evans did. I knew she would. I'm surprised she said, because I said old Christians. I'm surprised that she did. <laughs> You've been around a while. <laughs> oh, never can win with that woman. Hallelujah. So let me ask you then this question. Can you discern motives? Can you discern motives? Okay. Can you make righteous judgment? The Bible says it's okay for us to judge as long as we judge righteously. Can you discern motives? Can you make righteous judgment? Going back again to the proverb, many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Wise men and women recognize the temptation and the weaknesses of men in order to prudently judge persons and situations. They recognize it. The power and the influence of a prince, and when we're looking at this, we have to look at it in the sense that Solomon is talking to us uh, on our level. A prince is someone well-to-do, a powerful person, a wealthy person. And sometimes wealth is not always constituted in millions, but somewhat things that we think are wealthy. Okay? So this is what he's speaking of. Now, he, he goes on. The power and the influence of a prince and the money and the generosity of the wealthy attract all kinds of Robertson 6 and 4 leeches. You ever mess with a leech? I, I fish with them occasionally. And you go down, you get a, this little container of them, and one thing about a leech, if you if you you can't catch any fish, you can always eat them. Well, just you put them on, you know, roast them a little bit. Got all kinds of good vitamins in there. Build your red blood cells. 
<laughs> no, I'm joking. But you take a leech and you pick him up, and I guarantee you, if you've you got to put the hook through his, his little sucker, because that's the toughest part, and he wiggles on the hook and entices walleyes to come in. But regardless, you, you pick him up, and if he gets 10 seconds, less than that, 2 seconds, he'll suck right onto your finger. And he'll be there, and he'll be hanging on. You've got to pry him off, you know, do whatever you get him loose to put him on the hook. Now, that, that is a, a human leech is the same way. Human leech, if he can find somebody that he thinks has got something that he would like to have, he's got the ability. Now, we're talking about the world. We're not talking about the church. There's no way I'd talk about the church like this. Just talking about the world. Okay? He would just right on there. And then his little tail would be wiggling back and forth. Every time that you, you walked, you know, he, he just sucked right up to you. That's exactly the way it works. And, that, and that's what Solomon was telling his son here. You know, the many that, that beg for favors from the powerful and every man that befriends the wealthy are generally unfaithful and dangerous men. You get somebody that's wealthy and you've got all those, those uh, hanger-ons, if you would, leeches. Hang those people can be dangerous, and we can see that in the Bible. Prodigal son's a great example of what I'm talking about. That can be dangerous. And the proverb is an observation by Solomon. And as, as a powerful and a wealthy king, he experienced the crowd and the constant harassment of petitioners seeking his intervention on their behalf. So in order to teach his son, he warned that a prince would also have many such followers. And the majority of these leeches would be selfish men with little positive character or loyalty a wise man would not put his trust in their words or their actions let me just keep it let, let me put it to you real simply here anybody that is only your friend when you're on top of the heap and that's the only time and you start going down the heap and you're you know you're going to the bottom and all of a sudden you don't have friends that's not a friend never was a friend if he's only a friend when you got something in your pocket, you got money. But again, prodigal son, you got money or whatever it is that you may have. He's not a friend if he leaves you when things are not going your way. Now, this following, the following proverb, which I hope I can get to, the next proverb, I've got, I've got that one as well, sheds light on this one. Solomon wrote, and this is the next one that I'm going to be talking about. He said, all the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. That's Proverbs 19.7. I'll get to it in a minute. But when a man has no money or power, he loses his friends and his brothers, for they see no further reason to maintain a relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, they are afraid he might request help of them, so they, they run away. These are fair-weather friends. I mean, you've got money, and you're doing good, and, and you, know, you spend all your money on your friend. This is especially true on females, guys. I mean, you get you you know you borrow somebody's nice car and you go out and you got all these fine looking ladies you want to go out with. Isn't that right? You remember that, don't you? Okay, you got all and you know when they find out you're driving a Volkswagen, that's your real car. Then all of a sudden you lose everybody. I mean, that's really you never had that problem. Okay, I, yeah. <laughs> Trouble is they looked at Brother Hill and they thought he was his dad. Oh, I couldn't help it. I had to. God forgive me. I got to repent. Uh, <laughs> Telling the truth. <laughs> so you know, you you really got to watch because this is this is the kind of thing you know that, that people like that will use you until you are completely used up. Now, now moving on. 
When a man has no money or power, again, he loses friends and brothers, for they see no further reason to maintain a relationship. In fact, they are afraid he might request, again, help from them, so they run away. If I'm doing something for somebody, you know, and all of a sudden I run out, then he's my buddy until he sees that I'm running out. But now he says, I can't get close to him because I know he's broke and he may be wanting to borrow money from me. And that happens a lot, more than you know. Now, again, we're talking about the world, the church. We've never done. I'm just trying to help you out in your relationship with family members and so forth outside the church because I know this would never happen here. Now, these two proverbs together help explain one in the nearby context where Solomon had written, Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. And that Proverbs 19 and 4. Now, all three proverbs together are describing false friends, selfish men, unfaithful followers, and dangerous leeches. Wise men must learn to recognize the temptation of men's souls and thereby have the upper hand in judging their words and their actions. Solomon had taught this principle earlier as well. And there he wrote, The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends, in Proverbs 14.20. The lesson is simple. Most men have selfish motives that cause them to follow and feign loyalty to those who could benefit them. It is a wise man's understanding that remembers and considers this weakness of most men and takes it into account when making judgments. Let me give you something else. Now, I know maybe I'm reaching for this, and maybe you don't agree, and that's fine. I have no problem with anybody who believes that a particular preacher having a big revival somewhere has got the the ability to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover or uh, instant healing. But sometimes, sometimes people move to churches for that very same reason. You're, you're going to be, oh, oh, that preacher, he, he laid hands on somebody, and, you know, they, they, they were healed. So we're going to make that our church. And they come for a while, and they find out that, you know, it's just the same as our church. You know, it's not just a matter of my faith. It's a matter of the faith of the person who walks down here to be healed. So maybe the problem was with the person who walked down here to be healed. Or they came because, hey, we found out that Brother Robertson loaned him money to put a new transmission in his Volkswagen. And, you know, I need a new transmission in my Volkswagen. I'll come and pay my $2 offering for a couple of weeks. Are we, are, we getting too, are we getting too serious here? Huh? And, you know, and then he'll give me money for that. Do you understand that? But all of a sudden I look at them and say, no, you know, we just can't do that. Well, guess what? We'll go find another church that's got ten people in it. And they can be inspired by my singing. And they'll give me money to put a new transmission in my Volkswagen. Oh, glory to God. Don't you? Mm-mm-mm. Ah, let's move on here. We're getting too serious about some of this. <laughs> even, oh, well, I guess that's the reason I did this. Even the, even the church have such evil men that creep in from time to time. Uh, Jude 1.16, that should come up behind me. And it warned against those who admire and flatter men for the advantage they hope to, to obtain. It is a profane shame that men will profess Christianity and feign an interest in the gospel to drink from the stream of charity, spilling from the godly and loving church. I knew a guy one time that told me he, got, he did get saved. And regardless, you know, the fact is he gets, he gets saved. But he said that it used to be it's how he lived. He said he'd go from church to church. And these were denominations as well. And he said he'd get money from them. And, he, and there was one guy, there was one guy, 
uh, here, and you, I've told this story before, that he got baptized in four or five of our Pentecostal churches because every time he got baptized, he got money. Now, this has happened years and years ago. But he got baptized. We all got excited. Someone got baptized in Jesus' name, and he needed a little money, and everybody handed him money, and he kept going from one to the other. You see what I'm saying? It does happen. And it's a shame that it, it, that it happens, but, you know, it's always been. The Bible speaks of these things, you know, and it's a shame that people do that. But uh, as David prayed, deliver your churches from strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That's Psalm 144 and verse 1. So even the Bible tells us, deliver us, God, from those kind of people. Deliver us. Consider Jesus Christ, for instance. There were those who followed him merely for the free lunch of fish and bread. And he had provided for them. They were so eager and intent on securing free food that they tried to forcibly make him king. Why? And, and I don't have that down. You can read this in John 6, 1 through 27. But you think about what I just said. A lot of people don't get that in that particular scripture. But they did not, well, they weren't interested in him being king until he started handing out free food. He rebuked and ridiculed their carnality until they left. And you can read that in John 6, 28 through 71. Wise men will recognize from this lesson the inherent, now listen to me, folly of connecting medicine and food programs with the gospel. All right, are you there? I'm not against helping people. Anybody goes away from here and says that, then they're, they're wrong. I'm not against helping people when they need help. I do not mind helping someone in the church who I know what kind of spirit and attitude that they have. And if, they were, if it was possible, they would be the one doing the giving. There's a different story there. If someone comes in and there's times when God has dealt with me about helping someone off the street and I've done it. And there's been times I've helped people just to get them away. All right? So I'm saying sometimes, and I, it, it's, it's a shame, but it does happen. And the older you get, the more you realize that, the, that it is. And regardless of what, someone will look at you and say, that's some kind of Christian. Well, yes, I am a good Christian because the Bible tells me to be a good steward of what God has given me. <clears throat> you know, th there again, I go back with that, that Gerald Jeffries when he said, the, the Jesus Christ of the Bible and the one that we serve sometimes are just two different persons. All right, now hear me. Because the Jesus Christ of the Bible rejected anything even close to seeker-sensitive practice like this. He didn't do that. He did not do that. So then how is this lesson applied besides making everybody mad? Okay, consider Proverbs 31.30 where men were warned against the deceit of a, and I got to that earlier, of a woman's favors. The fear of God is the only measure of a great wife. The only measure of a great wife is the fear of God. And men that have any sense at all will see, you know, they'll look and understand that a woman can be tempting and they can have a weakness to be seduced by this woman. It can happen. The Bible tells us. But if a man is looking for the qualities of a woman being that which she loves God and she seeks God first and above all else. And sometimes men, just the same way with women, it's the same thing. It's not always up to the looks. That went over like a lead balloon. I'm telling you, Brother Roberts, I can get a woman who loves God and she looks like Barbie the doll. Have you ever looked at yourself there, Ken? 
I tell you, men and women both. Let's look, and the Bible speaks of this. They use the flattery issue. You know, tell you how nice you're looking. All they're trying to do is get in your wallet. Listen to me. There are some of these girls that that's all they got on their minds getting married. And how many women out here would say that you were just like them? Be honest. Well, not one of you raising your hand, but you did. Listen, there's a few of them that I'm married. I know exactly why it was happening there. Can't let this guy get away. Brother Robertson said this guy got to wait a year. I know good and well someone's going to grab him up in six months and run to the justice of the peace. <laughs> That's good preaching, isn't it? <laughs> Is that what you guys did? <laughs> And well, you know, occasionally things work out. <laughs> I'm going to finish up this particular verse here, if you'll give me a minute. <laughs> True friendship and, and service have nothing to do with advantage or benefit of the relationship. For they are based on the higher principles of fearing God. That is everything. A good relationship between a man and a woman will always be based on that higher relationship, or the principle, rather, of fearing God. The principle of fearing God, and that's the way. Christian charity, if you would, righteous character, personal integrity. True friends are not moved by adversity or poverty. They are willing to lose all in order to help the other. That's what a true friend is. Proverbs 17, verse 17, and 18, 2 through 4. A true friend is made for adversity. And that's the kind that will stick with you whether you've got money or whether you don't. Same way with a wife or a husband. For better or for worse. For richer or for poor. Till death do we part. <laughs> Proverbs 19, verse 7. I talked a little bit about it earlier. All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. Now, here is, a, is an accurate observation by Solomon. Human nature is rather ugly. Okay, it really can be. Man's motives are analyzed honestly. A man's own family sometimes will forsake him when he's financially poor. Okay? And there's a lot of people who can amen that. They know in their own families they've seen it. And he will certainly lose his friends, for they no longer cease to associate with him. Though he may express much affection, they leave him anyway. Family is usually tighter than friendship, so the world says blood is thicker than water. But Solomon here teaches that money is more important than family. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says, or it's Ecclesiastes, rather, it says money answereth all things. Solomon understood that. I know he was rich and he had everything he wanted, but he also realized when, he, when, he, when God inspired him to pin that scripture that, that money can answer anything, and it really does. It doesn't last, and it's not deep, and it won't keep your friends unless you've got it and you keep it consistently. You know that, but, but really, how, how deep of a friendship is that when it's based on something like that? Something as frivolous as, as money. What kind of friendship are we really talking about? I, uh, I, I had a kind of reconnected with a friend I had in, in high school, and it was, it was so 
I, I was I was doing a, I was doing a funeral, and I seen his dad, and uh, I felt like calling him, and I I did I didn't reach him, but he called me right back as soon as he got home, and and, and made the word said the word said you know I've really been thinking a lot about you, and I hadn't seen him in years. I've been thinking a lot about you. He knows you know he's no similar preacher, and and uh, you know we were. When I first when I first got in church, we we were together some, we hunted some together, and but but it's just it was interesting. I thought you know that's a friendship, that's a friendship. When even though you know he's he's retired from teaching down in Tell City, and and even though even though all those years you know he still was thinking about me, and that's that, that's the kind of friendship that you can have. Now I I will say this. I know he's not in the church, but I can say this. We in the church should have friendships that last. Yeah, it should be. We should have friendships at last. And folks, let's just let's let's just be right where we live. And it's hard for it's sometimes it's hard for us. It doesn't matter if that person is in this church or the other church that preaches the truth. They can still be our friends. That's they they can still be our friends. And we shouldn't we shouldn't be and, and I know and I've I know preachers who have actually got upset and, and got hurt over situations where people left, that they, he forbid them, his people to, to talk to them, the ones that left. But, I, folks, <laughs> if I'm going to be in heaven with people, I better be able to talk to people down here. I think we better be able to. <clears throat> the world should, should coin a new saying, money is thicker than blood. Philosophical talk and romantic songs about eternal love and the, and the precious value of a soul are nice, but the reality of life is that without opportunity for personal gain, most men, and I'm saying most men, I'm not saying every person, will forsake both family and friends if they get an opportunity to make money. It happens. Some proverbs state an observation, and, and you must discover the lessons as Solomon observed that most men are selfish when they perceive no further financial opportunity in a relationship and they'll dump the person. And he saw that this horrible trait extended even to family and friends. So what can you learn from this, this indictment of, of the human race, if you would? Mankind, number one, is inherently selfish, greedy, and opportunistic. They know lust or self-gratification much better than they know love or self-sacrifice. A wise man learns this trait of men and considers it when analyzing situations or making decisions involving others. He will remember the underlying ambition and selfishness in most relationships. Listen to me. You ought to make, and especially younger people, make, make, put it in your mind. Put everything else aside. And when you make a friend, that friend should be your friend for life. When you find a man, and I know maybe I'm, I'm doubling up on some of this, but I feel really night doubling up on it. When you, when you find that person you think you're in love with, be sure you're in love with that person, not that person's family, not that person's money. Come on, are you hearing me? Be sure you love that person. Be sure you love that person. The Bible says love hideth a multitude of sins, and it certainly does. There's a lot of things that you're going to find out after marriage. You know, it's like Brother Cisco said. He didn't realize the toilet paper didn't grow underneath the sink in the bathroom. He found out you had to go buy toilet paper to put in there. You know, it's, it's, it, there's things like that that's laughable, but on the other side of it, there, you'd be surprised some of the things you hear after people get married that they didn't know. Yeah, don't want to go over there and let's move on. 
Most friends are fair-weather friends. Their commitment and loyalty to you is only as deep as your pockets. And when the going gets tough, they get going right out the door. True friends of whom the world knows little are not so fickle. Solomon also wrote, he said, A true friend loveth at all times. And again, I said this earlier, a brother is born for adversity. Now, if you, let's let's go. If you're one of those poor people, there's nothing wrong with being poor. The Bible doesn't speak of this. But there is, there is levels of this. There's some understanding. Let, let, let's look at a, a different side of that. If you've earned your poverty by being a bum, lazy, slothful, anybody got any other words? <laughs> Useless. <laughs> okay. Let's add stupidity. Okay. Stupidity, you should not complain about your lack of friends. Okay, now let, let's look at these friends. You have driven them away by your own foolishness. Okay, diligent and honest men rightly despise lazy and stubborn men. That's right, they do. They rightly despise them. I just, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with, well, I've got so much to, I better not go there, because I got it, I got it, no, I got it to teach later, and I, I want to save it and let it percolate. Good anointing should percolate for a while. All right? Let's see. <laughs> oh. You know, these kind of people, they fear to be near you, lest you will ask for another handout or, or subsidize your sin. Get, get to work and avoid, avoid some of the foolish scams and have some money. They, they, you know, they can return if, if you are not constantly looking for a handout. I think I've got uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. If you would bring that up for just a few moments and in Ephesians 4, 28, I would appreciate it. The only true friends are those united to you in the Holy Ghost. Now that's exactly how Robertson feels about it. Those are your true friends. They are not fair weather friends. Um, I, you know, <laughs> my wife got to the point. She said, uh, she said I got to the point where I've had people say, "Hey, Sister Robertson, I got your back," and she said next week they were gone. Come on, come on. Let, let, let's let's go one place else. Be honest. There's nothing I can't stand. I cannot bear with a lion. And I talked about that last Wednesday. I mean, just be honest. Yeah. If you, I'd love. Don't turn me on. There we go. I'd rather for you to come up to me and tell me I don't like your preaching, I don't like the way you wear bow ties, I don't like your suit, I, you know, and say that, and I'm, 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 I'm going away. Rather than lie to me, then go away. Be a man or a woman. All right. I, I just prefer that. I know I've told this before. I'm, I'm an old guy. I can, I can retell things. There's new people here. You had a guy that well, used to work for the state, and he'd come in late every time. And, you know, I never would fire him because he always, when he come in, he said, Oh, I got drunk last night and overslept. You know, and I couldn't fire him because I, I liked him too much. You know, he never would lie to me. And then I had another guy that come in, and he told me, I mean, really, he told me his dog got hit in the, by a car right before it was work time. And, you know, maybe it did, but it sure sounded like a, an excuse to me. You know, I've heard all kinds of stuff. 
through the years. But when you're just right up front and honest with me, it just makes all the difference in the world. And listen, I don't think it's just me that should feel that way. We all should be honest with one another. You know what? It would help us a lot to quit gossiping if we were honest with each other. Mm. Oh, all right. Let's, let's go on. I know I'm covering some things twice. but The only true friends, again, are those that are, are united to us through the Holy Ghost. They're not fair-weather friends. Uh, for outward circumstances or ambition, neither motive, uh, you know, it doesn't move them. It doesn't affect them. They're, they're committed to you by their love of God and, and God's family. They're, they're no more interested in your perfection, are you hearing me, than the prophet. They don't. Uh, if some people can't be, I, I, I'm agreeing, I'm, I'm the first one to tell you that if someone who's just constantly around the wrong person, who's planting bad thoughts in your mind and causing you to backslide most of the time, then you need to leave. You need to leave them and not mess with that person. But if you're looking for the perfect person, you're in the trouble. Because none of us are perfect. So don't look for the imperfections in somebody. Because that can really mess you up. It may be that you can help perfect that person if you can be a friend to that person. So you know, watch that. You know, these kind of people, they value love and peace over menu or ambience or fancy meal in the world. You know, they, 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 they like that. Where are such exceptional friends found? And they're found in the church. Now, there's no shame in legitimate poverty. Okay. We're talking about legitimate poverty versus earned poverty. Poverty. There we get it. Earned poverty and legitimate poverty. Okay, that should be two words that you always remember. Put that up. Are you earning your poverty by being a lazy lug? Are you legitimately in poverty? Because, again, for those that are followers of Jesus Christ... You know, the Bible says he chose the poor of this world to be his children, 1 Corinthians one twenty six and James two five, And through false friends may leave and forsake you, God, who adopted you to eternal inheritance with infinite riches, will never forsake you. Romans 9.23, that should be coming up right there behind me. He'll never forsake you. There are some people that just will never be rich. And if that person next to you is rich and you think God is showing favoritism, there may be a reason that God is doing it. And it may have nothing to do with you may have nothing to do with you. It may be that God has got a special uh, mission for you, a special calling, something that only you can do. I, I, and, you know, and I look at some people, and my daddy made me see this, there is just some people that can't be rich because they backslide. You know, there is just some people that could not be rich. You know, think Lazarus and his great reversal of fortune with the rich man that ignored him, Luke 16 and 19. His love is everlasting and unchanging, regardless of the circumstance. We have a God that loves us, and he will never forsake us, regardless of the circumstance. Isn't that great? Great thing to know. All right, Proverbs 19, verse 10. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Oh, boy, this is the one. I've got to walk. Really, now you you you've seen that. Is that an amplified luxury? Is not fitting for a self, ooh, self-confident fool. Much less for a slave to rule over a prince. You know, when we look at the Old Testament, we see we see slaves and we see princes or, or servants and masters, and we see that now in the in the New Testament context. 
that can be employees and employers. Solomon covered, and I said, you, you find the whole Bible condensed in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon covered so many things that were important that we, we really don't like to talk about them too much. But if we, we would really look at them, it could help us a lot. You know, foolish person, a foolish person does not deserve honor, liberty, or pleasure. It's unfit for them. Now, taking it back, the Bible says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, to call no man fool. I went in there and looked at that today, and I thought, you know, we see, we see Proverbs is full of the term fool. It's full of, it's full of it. And then you see Jesus saying, call no man a fool. But then I looked at it in context, and what he was talking about in Matthew 5 was forgiveness. In other words, what he was saying, that person that made you mad, don't call him foolish because you, you don't want to forgive him. That was the context he was using. In this context, it's a person who just is silly, stubborn, knuckleheaded. And <laughs> I was looking at the, at the Greek term, and it honestly said knucklehead. It did. I got to look at it. said it, and I thought, I knew I was speaking Greek all along. So I was, I was right there. Now, you know, let's look at some of this. Uh, a man without wisdom or that does not rule his spirit should be despised, the Bible says, and rebuked and punished. Actually, it tells you Proverbs 18, 6, 19, 19, 26, and 3. And it is much more confusing and wrong when employees take liberties with employers or citizens with rulers. We live in a nation that has the ability to vote a knucklehead out. All right? We have that ability. And that's what we need to do. But as long as we live under a particular laws, we should try our best to abide by those laws. All right? That's, that's the way it should be. Solomon was a great king over Israel, and he taught wisdom by the use of, of these kind of proverbs. And to promote wisdom in a nation requires that foolish people be dishonored, rebuked, and punished. And if this practice is not followed, then foolishness will become acceptable or even honorable. Now, folks, we can prove that in our country. And, and we've, got great kids. we've got great kids here, but you go out into the world and you look at some of the conditions of some of these, uh, these single-parent homes. You see some of the, uh, what's going on. Where did that come from? It came from all the way back to the 60s. It came from there, and foolishness began there, and it was passed down. The, the children began to see how their parents were acting, so guess what? So he was telling us, you know, it, it messes up a nation if, if the leadership, and it's not just the people in government. Leadership begins with fathers and mothers in the home. That's where it begins. And let's just take it a little step further. Furthermore, the essential respect of authority requires servants and princes to keep their respective offices without confusion. In other words, if you're in charge of this, be in charge of it. That's ridiculous to honor foolish people and allow them the freedom or pleasure. Foolishness is despicable and damning. So fools should be despised and punished, according to Solomon. And, and other action encourages fools, and their folly and discourages the pursuit of wisdom. It sends the wrong message to the nation, especially the young and the impressionable. It's better to punish foolish people for his wonderful uh, byproduct on observers. That's why you have to have punishment, because of the people that are watching. 
If I allowed someone to come up in this choir and they were so drunk that someone had to hold them up on both sides, what am I telling this group down here? Are you hearing me? And you know, there may be a few things that get by me occasionally, but eventually I'll catch it. So I'm just saying, I have a responsibility to the young ones that are coming up to be sure that this platform stays clean. Let's look what America does. America exalts fools and foolishness, actors and actresses. The most lascivious and least productive members of society are called stars. Now, follow me. You know I'm right. Grown men playing children's ball games are worshipped. Turn this up a little bit. Hallelujah. I don't have any problem with children's ball games, and men should be able to play them. But I'm not going to worship some knucklehead out there. Come on. That's crazy. Oh, man, he threw for 950 inches. I can do that. <laughs> My Lord. Rap is called music, and that's another thing. Rap is called music. You don't like it, do you, Keith? You know. <laughs> I was almost pondering that today. You got some guy on there who, who just talks fast and they call it music. That's that's really and they make all kinds of money. I mean, what happened to the good music? Beach Boys, Four Seasons. Next, I knew I'd get out there, I knew I'd get her. <laughs> oh well, I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll get there in a minute. I'll get there in a minute. Oh, let's just keep going here. You know, you got grown men playing children's games and or worship as heroes. Rap's called music, and it's loud on the air. Picasso was hailed as an artist. University students are polled for opinions. Gambling's accepted as a legitimate vacation. Hmm? Sodomy is called gay, and adultery is called an affair. You know, comedians are a profession. That's another thing. Yeah. You know, and then you got Bonnie and Clyde, you got Jane and Marilyn. They're celebrities for crime and sedition and adultery. Sitcoms dominate prime time. Children mock and rebel against parents. And we'll go all the way back to the 60s just for Sister uh, <coughs> Evans. The Beatles, clanging merchants of drug and fornication, are made rich and memorialized. Fraternities are hotbeds of drunkenness and whoredom. Performing artists rail on government policy. And Beavis and Butthead actually aired for five years. Five years. Now, can you, can you think our country has got to be in good shape for that? I mean, really. You think about it. Is it any wonder that maturity once expected in teen years is now missing at 30 years old? And let's just go a little further. Is it any wonder that typical American conversation is centered on movies or sports? That's good, isn't it? That's good preaching, isn't it? Everybody knows that you should center your conversation first on God, secondly on hunting and fishing. <laughs> I threw myself in there. Now you got, I, I did good, didn't I? All right. You know, you stop these. 
some of the most worthless thieves of conscience and time in the nation, some of the things I've just said. You think about what I'm saying. And I, I, we, we, I, I believe, I believe in enlightening things up and, and saying funny stories from up here. You know how I do. But I also believe that this is, this is a place that is sacred and you can overdo things. And there's too much of that being done in pulpits. All right, I, it, and then that has to be have to be careful. I like to lighten things up because I want people to listen to me. But you know, just to go from one joke to the other in a pulpit, I'm not a comedian. I'm not a Beavis, thank God. I didn't want to say the other one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You know, it, it, look at all this. You know, it's, it's, it's foolishness has been dignified in America, and the rest of the world rushes to copy us. They really do. They want to be what we are. Solomon would be horrified. And personally, I think God is angry with what we are. And it's even more ridiculous to allow servants the right to question, control, or to punish princes. Now, folks, let's, let's, let's talk about something that is near and dear. And I believe that there are, there's got to be checks and balances in everything. And for me to stand up here and to tell you that the problem with our nation is, is all in labor unions, I'm not going to do that. But on the other side of it, what about some of these? And, and this happened back a few years ago uh, where Ronald Reagan fired 1,100 uh, controllers, air, uh, air traffic controllers, because they, they went on strike and replaced them and did the same job with less. I'm saying is there has got to be an end to all of it. And I realize that employers can overdo, and they do. You know, they, they, some of what I see, some of the poor people having to work at Boston and, and Cook, and, and they should make more than what they make. And they don't allow unions in there. I realize that. But on the other side of it, you see how far it goes the other way. That's why the Bible says, let's just put it, let's put it simply. When you've got a nation that has forgotten godly principles, then you have these kind of problems. It should be, we should be, if there's an employer, he should have enough God in his heart to pay of the right kind of wage. And an employee, the same way, not demand something that they shouldn't have. But you see that while all this, as I'm saying, is it goes along with this proverb, is that we've allowed things to get out of control. And when we do this, we're, we're missing some things here that are very important. God help us to keep the right attitude towards employers, employees. Let's keep the right attitude for our children. Let's not, let's not set a bad example for them. You know, when listing these things and, uh, and troubles in society... And they're truly, some of this is unbearable. And it included servants with authority or influence. And this is what he's saying in Proverbs 21, 23. There are some people, and, and this is what Solomon was saying, and actually the Bible teaches this. There, that is to be content in whatever state you're in. There are some of us that should not be employers. There are some people that are, should be employees. And I've seen it time and time again where someone tries to step out of their role and then they go down. You know, you just don't make a decision, I'm going to go in business for myself. It's a big job, and you still work for everybody that's out there. You're going to be working for somebody. I want to be my own boss. Yeah, you talk to some of these people that's in business and find out who the boss is. You walk in there and you do a heating and air job, and you don't do a good job to their liking, and guess what? They don't want to pay you. You ever run into that, Brian? 
And I know how good a job he does. And, you know, you run into that kind of thing. And, you know, there you are. You, you got your, all your stuff out there, stuff that you've bought and you, you put in there, and they don't want to pay you. Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier to have a boss over in charge of you? Let him, let him absorb all that. And then he'd look at you and fire you. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> that's the way it works. You know, there are differences in human ability, offices and stations. And God has assigned unavoidable responsibilities to all men, including the securing of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For the, uh, and, 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 and I believe that that, when our nation, when that was, was placed in our Constitution, that, that our nation, that God was looking at, at this, this was for the righteous and the wise. That it wasn't just out there, you know, you can't just be a guy who, who, who lays alongside the road with a, with a wine bottle. And say, I've got life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you owe me. The, 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 let me read that to you. Again, he says, securing of life, liberty, and the pursuit. It does not say that you ever catch happiness. It says you can pursue it. You know, you consider fur, further, whenever any form of government becomes destructive, of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Without serious qualifications, this statement is the basis for anarchy. Do you realize that? That is part of what we are, our nation, but that is a basis of anarchy. And we could use that for the basis of anarchy. But you see, there's a peaceable way of doing things. That's why we vote. And if you're not voting, shame on you. If you don't like our government, you don't vote, shame on you. Oh, my Lord, did I get a lot out of that one. Authority must be restored and promoted at all levels and all spheres or America will continue to decline morally and economically. Folks, we're in an economical decline because of the very things I'm talking about. They must begin in the home where God's laws must be exemplified and taught. Let's go. Let's go with this now. Follow me. Wives must obey and reverence their husbands, Ephesians 5.22. Children must obey and honor their parents, Ephesians 6.1-3. The father must honor his employer, 1 Peter 2.18-21. Honor their pastor, Hebrews 13.17. And rulers, 1 Peter 2.13-17. Are these old-fashioned ideas? Indeed they are. The old paths of God's word. Look at Jeremiah 6.16. It should show you. Come on up right behind me. What are you doing to promote? wisdom over foolishness you cannot justify delight for a fool because he's unworthy of it it will further corrupt his perverse heart and it will endorse folly as acceptable what are you doing to promote god's ordained authority are you submitting cheerfully and fully to those uh, to those god has placed over you whether parent husband employer pastor or civil government do you defend those in authority regardless of philosophies and, and rebels that oppose them you can make a difference each and every one of us can make a difference. I look, I, I'm saying this, you know, I realize God has an order to everything he's doing. This may be the end of it all. We may never come out of this for the rapture of the church. And I, but on the other hand, that does not give us the right to not continue to obey every principle that's in God's word. Stand with me. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap of praise.
next week probably, but uh, whenever I do it again, Proverbs 19.11, and that will be the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. I'll spend two hours on that. Pass over his discretion. Can you imagine that? Do you realize that what makes God happy is for us to be humiliated, made fun of, have our ego attacked, and for us to sit there with a smile on our face? Turn the other cheek, keep turning the other cheek, or eventually get away from the guy who keeps making you do it. One of the two. Let's raise our hands to the Lord and let's thank Him for His goodness. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. Bless each and every one. Keep them, Jesus, as they travel. I pray, Lord, uh, touch each and every one that is not here and bless them. I ask now in Jesus' name, amen, amen.